Our final stop of the week at the Earth Rising Ecological Arts Festival, this time on Culture File, where we find a nice spot in a quiet glade, mostly away from the performances and the children's workshops and the food trucks, to sit on a low wall and talk with Lucy Jones. Jones attended the festival as a keynote speaker on the tales of her book, Losing Eden. That book surveys a new world of nature, increasingly understood via physicians, biologists, neuroscientists and psychologists, as a powerful component of human mental health and flourishing as lucy jones explained to culture file kind of interesting that we're right next to the museum but there is this sort of wild patch around here yeah it's beautiful we are uh, there's lots of mulch and, and dead leaves on the floor and uh, lots of different nettles and, and trees um yeah i'm definitely my element here I reconnected with nature about 10 years ago, which precipitated me writing my book and investigating these links between nature and mental health. I started as a journalist in Honduras, and then I was a local newspaper reporter, and I specialised in music for a bit at NME. About 10 years ago, I was uh, living in London and suffering from depression and anxiety and uh, substance issues. And I found that part of my recovery was in spending time in the natural world, which surprised me. I didn't realize that it could be therapeutic. I knew about psychiatry, I knew about therapy and so on. But the the power and the strength of spending time um, in Walthamstone Marshes kind of blew my mind. So I wanted to find out what happens to our brains when we're in a natural space, what happens to our bodies, to our limbic systems. And that led me to walk into this extremely fertile and exciting field of researchers in every continent of the world trying to measure and look at what happens to the human um, mind and body when we're in natural areas. Tell us a bit about Walthamstow Marches. People aren't necessarily aware that, that there in uh, northeast London there's a lot of wilderness sort of um, in little strips moving through the houses. Yeah, that's right. So um, I was living in Clapton at the time and um, really not very far to a park or anything, but about 15-minute walk was Walthamstow Marshes. And that's this kind of really enormous open space with um, the River Lee, which runs through, and little kind of copses of woodland. Um, there are kind of belty Galloway cows and, and birds of prey like kestrels. And I'd hear like the plop of the water vole and, and look at all the... The, the river plants and, and the flowers and it felt like a lot a lot of the natural world um, so close to buildings and trains it, it felt very relaxing to be there I, I started wanting to try and boost my mood in different ways so I, I initially I was going running because I knew that in, in do- you get endorphins through running but then I found I'd end up just walking really slowly and kind of ambling about looking at trees then when I'd get back to my flat, the kind of self-critical negative thoughts that were plaguing me at the time seemed to have gone for a while. Um, and so I, I could see that it was having this kind of direct effect on my, my brain and my thinking. And it became kind of as addictive almost as the mind-altering substance I was uh, consuming before. That gave me a sense of this kind of potential power. But I didn't really realise how how robust the evidence base is um, for this connection between nature and mental health until I started really properly researching it. The more I looked, the more more I learned. And, you know, there were kind of environmental geographers studying it, psychologists, neuroscientists, people who study hormones, people who study gut bacteria. And it became clear to me that 
nature can affect um, the human animal kind of from our heads to our toes. Um, so we all know that kind of being in a park or being by the seaside is in some way relaxing. Um, but did you know, for example, that you recover quickly and more completely from stress in a natural environment, that smelling trees, cedarwood, the, the phytoncides, the chemicals that the tree releases can reduce inflammation, that looking at fractal shapes or smelling petrichor, the smell of the earth after it's rained, can trigger areas of the brain associated with calmness and relaxation. There were so many examples like this. And of course, there will be many more things that we don't know about. Um, but I found that a very um, exciting thing to bring to people to almost give people kind of kind of permission to spend time in the natural world considering we spend 1.1 to 5 percent of our time outdoors today how did you feel about this research that came out recently and i mean i know it's a bmj preprint, but there was a, a a lot of pushback on social prescribing which I, I guess is the the area you're talking about i think that the um the, the area that we're talking about is very complex. So mental health is obviously extremely complex. So is nature. There are, you know, saying to someone, ditch your pills and go into the woods, you know, that's clearly, you know, the wrong way to do it. It's much more complicated than that. There'll be people who have uh, different kind of cultural preferences in terms of nature. There'll be people with different mental health problems who might require a kind of different, different environment or different place. We definitely need more research. One of the leading physicians in this area, Howard Frumkin, said to me, there's no harm to it, that it, it, there's no risk to it. There's clearly benefits, and they could be through kind of exercise, being outside, social contact, having your kind of circadian rhythms reset healthily. Um, but there also seems to be all these therapeutic benefits as well. Here at uh, Earth Rising, it's an eco-arts festival and it the, the stuff that you were talking about, about looking at fractals and at certain types of attention, it's very interesting to see how those kind of behaviours or, or um, um, states of being intersect with people making art, you know, which is obviously feeding off some of the same mechanisms or processes. Sure. I mean, I think I'm probably quite a kind of basic art com consumer in that I'm very kind of drawn to like colour and shape. I suppose in the culture, what I'm always looking for is a kind of sense of transcendence, maybe. You mentioned transcendence there and, and you have said that is one of the things that, you know, is never going to be measured in the lab successfully. So it's never going to be offered as a, an argument for re-engaging. Yes, I don't know how you would measure transcendence in the lab. I mean, they've managed to measure awe. Um, the science of awe, I think, is a really exciting area, which basically tells us that when we experience awe, um, it has measurable effects on our body and our health, uh, on, our, on our longevity, on our inflammation. It's really, really important to experience awe. It's not just a luxury. Everyday awe, I find, is, is something I get through kind of looking at moss and lichen on a wall, particularly with my jewellery loop, like I have a tiny little magnifying glass which I take around with me, or looking at kind of slime moulds on a piece of wood and, and kind of really, it, I guess it's a way of kind of seeing a different kind of perception of, of just realising that like under our feet there's all these colours and shapes and you know there's so much life and being in that kind of that tangle of life it just like blows my mind. But then I think my other experience of all really, and I, I think awe in the kind of ancient sense of awe and terror has been through giving birth so i've given birth to three children and that was terror and it was all lucy jones there on finding eden and her book is called losing eden why our minds need the wild